Well, thanks, Jeannie. Good morning, uh, everyone in our Harvest family. Any guests that are with us today, we're so grateful to have you with us. Thanks for um, your work, Jeannie, in the live lobby this morning. A lot of fun as we get ready to be together and a wonderful time of worship, obviously, that we've just had and uh, so grateful for our teams and what they've been doing to bring these live streams to us every single week. We are concluding, as Jeannie said, our uh, current series, six weeks now, we've been in Not So Mysterious After All, looking at the Spirit's work in the life of a Christian. And the Christian life, we've contended, is no mystery. The Christian life is no mystery. In fact, we uh, uncomplicated it by bringing it down to just two things. And we really said that it's about being and doing, but even the being and doing was assuming that we're already in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And And if you're already a believer, having surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, then you should be committed to holy living, and you should be committed to selfless service. And so you can see the one, two, three aspects of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So being a disciple is no more complicated than saying this, I am saved, we're going to say it in a bunch of different ways, I am saved. I'm in the process of being sanctified, and I am serving according to my gifts. Or as we often say here in the church, uh, our model for discipleship is this. A disciple must worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ. Or in the language of this series, you can see it's stated in a different way, uh, Pulling from John 3, 6, those who are born of the Spirit display the fruit of the Spirit and exercise the gifts of the Spirit. And so all of those are synonymous statements for describing what the Christian life is really all about. It's not a mystery. It's quite clear what the Christian life ought to look like. Now, all of that is, is, is leaving us to determine whether or not there are any deficiencies in our pursuit of this. It it leaves us in the place of wondering, am I weak in this area or that area? Is there a deficiency in, in my walk with Christ, in my work for Christ, or in my worship of Christ? And so we're wrapping up this short series with a final message on the means and impact of the spiritual gifts in and through our lives. And this is critical because the mission that we've been entrusted with by Jesus depends on us grasping this. And so for all of this, this comes down to a matter of obedience to Jesus Christ. It's a reminder again, in fact, that we don't get to fabricate the kind of Christian life we're going to live. It's based on what's said in the Word of God. We don't craft our own designer religion and then live that out and believe that we're doing fine. We have to listen to the Word of God. God Himself determines what a Christian life is, what the life of a disciple looks like. And so let's hear what God says about this. And I'm going to read two different passages right now. And uh, then we're going to work through those as we, um, as we work through the message here. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. Let me read this passage. Ephesians 4, uh, starting at verse 11. And he, speaking of Jesus, he gave 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, that's the Apostle Paul from Ephesians, and then over to 1 Peter chapter 4. Now the Apostle Peter has a few things to say here uh, to us, and this is 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Peter writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, those are two great passages that speak to the uh, issue in front of us today, the means and impact of the Holy Spirit working through us. And so let's look at that first part, the means, see in your notes now, the means of the Spirit's work in us is to, let me pause there and just say, God has a well-developed, well-thought-out plan here, which is to, notice, establish leaders to equip members. Establish leaders to equip members. Now, we are living in a time when there is a leadership crisis for various reasons. We live at a time when leaders are a disappointment, uh, no argument there, and anarchists are prominent. Anarchists would have us do away with all leadership structures in our culture. We live at a time when children and youth For a generation now, it seems, have been taught both directly and indirectly to disrespect authority figures. And so I realize that when I advocate for a model that esteems leadership, that promotes leaders, and has a a model of leaderships and leaders and servants, when I realize when I'm advocating for something like this, that I'm pushing uphill culturally. The reality is, as I'm not pushing uphill, the Word of God is pushing uphill. I'm just the messenger. And I realize, even saying all of this, that I'm in a leadership position. I'm perceived to be part of the problem in today's culture. It doesn't help at all that I'm a 50-something white, male, heterosexual, conservative, evangelical leader. Seven strikes and you're out. Seven things about me that put me at a disadvantage or disqualify me outright in the minds of so many. On all counts of what I've just said, I'm the boogeyman. 
And yet God says in his word, I'm just the messenger. God says in his word, verse 11 of Ephesians 4, and Jesus gave to the church apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. If you have a different translation, it's really the only ESV of all the major translations, only the ESV that puts shepherds in there. The word is pastors in most of your translations if you're carrying something different. In other words, with these various categories, God gave leaders. And, and, and Christian, if you're thinking that the anarchist, authority-hating culture around us has all of this right, that they're right in what they're saying, and you're tempted to shrug off authority, to push it off, to not respect authority simply because you don't want to, or because you've been disappointed by it, or because it's too hard, or because the leader said something you don't like. If that's the case, if you're tripping into what the culture is saying, then you're going to find yourself out of step with God, out of step with His plan to establish leaders and equip members for the mission. That's God's plan for the church. We need to find ourselves in lockstep with it, despite the culture around us. Well, the leaders mentioned, let's look at each of these. The leaders mentioned are apostles. Apostles, by the way, are definitely given to the church, and what the apostles have said is so important to us, and the model of their life. Obviously, we've read this morning from two pieces of literature that come from the apostles under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But apostles given to the church to build up the church, apostles no longer exist. In fact, to be an apostle, you had to be a witness to the resurrected Christ. In other words, you saw him yourself after the resurrection. And secondly, you had to be personally commissioned by Jesus to be an apostle. And uh, so there are no apostles today because no one fits that criteria. There were only ever, do you know the number is? How many apostles actually were there? The number is, some of you are saying 12, but the number is actually 13. Um, uh, there, there were the 11, that was the 12 minus Judas, the 11. And then in Acts chapter 1, uh, Matthias is, um, is appointed as Judas' replacement. So he gets like the 12th spot. And then the special apostle, Paul, who said he didn't even count himself worthy to be an apostle, but he was nevertheless an apostle. And so 13 is the number. Uh, so 13 apostles, none of those today. Those 13, though, were used by God to build the church, which is what we're talking about. Prophets, the second office, would be subject to the power gifts that we spoke about in some detail in the last message, and um, could also refer to, though, prophet and the gift of prophecy can refer to not only the foretelling of the future, which would be the power gift, uh, but also the foretelling of truth, which would be a word gift. And so we could look at it in both those senses. A prophet could be just a just preacher. I'm just a preacher, the foretelling of the church. What I'm doing right now is prophecy in the sense that it is foretelling the truth of God's Word. Uh, the third office is that of evangelists who have a particular gift for leading others to the Savior, the proclamation of the gospel, and having people respond to it. Uh, they are pioneers in the work. Perhaps church planters could fall into this category or certain missionaries. Those are evangelists. And the most normative for us would be the last two or perhaps one um, 
Uh, ESV says shepherds, but again, pastors and teachers, those who lead and shepherd the flock and who teach God's Word. Uh, Some scholars, of course, believe that this is a hyphenated word, pastor-teacher, reflecting one particular role in the church today. Again, this is the one that's most common for us. And those leadership roles, uh, we have to understand, and this is where it addresses the concern of so many today about leaders, that we're not talking about blind leaders, blindly following these leaders, blind loyalty, because these leadership roles are bound by the demands placed on them by the Lord. In fact, one of the most chilling verses in the Scripture for those of us who preach and teach the Word of God is James 3.1 that says, not many of you, James writes now, and he says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, knowing that we who teach incur a stricter judgment. Which makes me step back and go, why would anyone ever want this? Why would anybody want increased scrutiny and a greater judgment upon their lives? But there it is, it's on us, and so we're not talking about blind loyalty, we're talking about following leaders who are aligned with the Lord's purposes and ways. These leadership roles bound by the demands placed on them by the Lord are established in the church, verse 12 now, to equip the saints. The role of the pastoral team is not to do the ministry themselves. I'll say that again. The role of the pastoral team in a church, their role is not to do the work of the ministry themselves. Their role is to engage, equip, and encourage the members to do the work of the ministry. Recruit them, train them, build them up, encourage them in what they're doing. The members are to be doing the work of the ministry, and that's what we see next. The means of the Spirit's work is using members to serve one another. Now, notice Jesus says that this is, verse 12 continues, we're going to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The, the ministry here, that word ministry is in um, the original language Greek is a diakonia, which is, uh, we get the word deacon from it. It's the word service. So it is to serve one another, to serve the body. The work is to be done primarily, not exclusively by the members. It isn't like pastors aren't also engaged in this, but primarily they're equipping the members to do the ministry. When we think about history and how this played out, one of the great breakthroughs of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century was the rejection of the priesthood and the ministry at that time entirely focused on the paid clergy. The Roman Catholic Church mistakenly elevated their leaders so high that the rank-and-file church member had no role, no avenue for actual service that was all in the hands of paid clergy, whether priests or nuns or monks, all of them. But the member of the church was not engaged in ministry. Engagement, in fact, for the member was limited to attending mass, paying tithes, saying prayers. Teaching, in fact, was entirely downplayed in the Catholic Church. Scriptures were in Latin only. 
Most Christians could not read, even if they had a copy of the Bible, which they didn't, couldn't read it because they didn't know Latin. It was just the language of the scholars. Even the average parish priest would not be well-versed in the Scriptures. Teaching was downplayed and certainly could never be put into the hands of the so-called laity. Now, when we think about that happening in the 16th century, the Reformation, not all Protestants even to this day have done a good job of embracing this. But for the most part, evangelicals have taught this biblical model that puts the ministry into the hands of the members, rediscovering what it says here in Ephesians 4. And in the past week or so, just as I thought about how this plays out even in our own church family, in the past week or so, believe it or not, I have connected with three members of our church who had stays at uh, RVH. In each case, as I made contact with the person who was in hospital, in each case, the person had already been well cared for, loved on, and contacted by members of their small group and their close friends from the church. They were already several steps ahead of my contact with them. Now, some churches, some people might consider that a failure. Pastor, why didn't you contact sooner? Why didn't you, why didn't you go into care? But we don't consider that a failure of pastoral leadership, but a success as we look at Ephesians chapter 4. When our pastors and ministry directors have equipped the saints for the work of caring for one another, we've actually succeeded in the model that Christ has established for the church. Now the question is, are you engaged in that model? Are you a member serving other members? Because we need everyone engaged in this. We're one body, the body of Christ. Each of us serving one another to the benefit of the whole body. And the work remains unfinished. Are you engaged in this work? And then, notice this next, repeating this, repeating this, keep doing it, repeating this until we're all mature in Christ. We're going to do this leader-servant thing. We're going to keep doing this, verse 13 now of Ephesians 4, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're going to do it until then. So yeah, for a long time yet, we're going to keep doing it. Because as you read that verse, does anyone think we're there yet? I mean, let's look at it point by point. Do we have, let's, let's really interrogate the text here for a second. Do we have unity of the faith? One mind around the things that we believe. Uh, nope, we do not. We're not there yet. Still lots of division. Still lots of people arguing over things. If you have any doubt about this, go to Twitter and search some pastors and theologians. You'll see lots of controversy still. Lots of upset. Lots of conflict still in the church. We have not yet achieved the unity of the faith. So we've got to keep going. 
We've got to keep doing this. Leaders have to keep recruiting and members have to keep serving until we get there. Or how about this? Knowledge, are we here yet? Do we have knowledge of the Son of God? We have some. I'll admit we have some. Do we have the full knowledge of the Son of God? Do we know everything there is to know about Jesus? It's such a silly question. Of course we don't. So we need to keep doing this. We've just scratched the surface of who Jesus is. How about this third one? Do we have mature manhood? Do we have mature personhood? Have, are we mature? The, the sure sign, by the way, the sure sign that someone is not mature is that they claim to be mature. Well, I'm not going to claim it. I'm more sure of this than I have been for some time that I know just how far short of the mark I'm, I'm actually coming. How about this fourth one? What about the, the this, this is actually just building off of the last one. What about the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? I mean, I'm just wanting to be honest with you. I've been walking with Jesus since I was 15 years old more than 40 years. And there are days, most days, where I go, like, I've made no progress whatsoever. I don't, I don't measure up to this, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I have so far to go. And if I'm going to reach some measure of maturity, the only way that's going to happen is if there are leaders who are appointing members to do the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ, me included, as part of what's happening, and you included. If you aspire to be mature in Christ, this is the model that you must be following. And so all of this to say the job isn't done. We have to keep serving because we still have a ways to go until we reach maturity. How many, just raise your hand right now if you think we're going to be at this until Jesus comes back. Just raise your hand where you are. Yeah, me too. And Paul, Paul lays out the purpose of this. We're going to be at this till Jesus comes back. That the time when we're actually going to become mature is in eternity. We're going to keep working at it till then. The purpose of this relentless pursuit of serving one another, verse 14 now, so that we may no longer be children. So many babies in the church still. Whining, complaining, filling their diapers, just crawling around, just babies in the church. So that we may no longer be babies, okay? no longer be children. And the danger of this is, okay, when you're a baby, when you're a child, you can't protect yourself. Tossed to and fro, Paul says, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The twin assaults of this unbelieving culture that's constantly assaulting what we believe and then false teachers within the church that are going to tell us things that would lead us away from Christ. 
Those two things present a constant threat to the goal of building up the church. And if you're a child, if you're a baby, you can't defend against it. So whatever role you play, whatever gift you have, you serve in order to hold back the forces of darkness that are assaulting the church, assaulting believers, and you are working toward the building up of the church and the bringing to maturity of the members of the church. It doesn't matter what gift you have. Whatever gift God has given to you, that needs to be used for the building up of believers. If you're vacuuming the worship center, if you're changing diapers of actual babies in the nursery, if you're waving to people in cars as they drive in, if you're producing the live stream, whether you're operating a camera or you're in a back room behind a board, if you're praying in secret or preaching the word, whatever you're doing, you're working to build up the body of Christ. You're working to prevent our church and our members from being tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind from being deceived. Paul said it. 1 Corinthians 12, 22, Paul said it. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Don't ever think that your gift or what you do is insignificant. It's part of the greater whole that God is working on in the body of Christ. Indispensable. That's how God set it up. So serve and keep serving. So that's the means of the Holy Spirit. And now let's talk about the impact. Excuse me, the full impact of which is experienced when This just makes sense. Everyone uses their gift or gifts. Everyone uses their gift or gifts. This is the way Peter said it now. This is over into our passage in 1 Peter chapter 4. As each has received a gift, notice what he says, use it, use it. Use it to serve one another as good stewards, managers of God's varied grace. God's pouring His grace out on you. God's giving you the manifestation of the Spirit. You better manage that well steward it. And then he mentions what we've identified as word gifts and love gifts in a previous message. Curiously, he says nothing about power gifts. Verse 11, whoever speaks, this is 1 Peter 4, 11, whoever speaks, word gift, as one who speaks oracles of God. Doesn't matter if you're in Harvest Kids or in youth or in a small group or preaching up in front of the people. Whatever role you have, leading a men's study, a women's study, whatever you're doing, whoever speaks, believe that you are speaking oracles from God. If you're rooted in the text of God's Word, you are bringing oracles of God. And then whoever serves, now these love gifts, whoever serves, whatever the serving role is, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I mean, there's just no category. As you start to read this and you see what Paul said and what Peter said, there's no category for people to identify with the church and yet be uninvolved. In fact, I want to show you this gift list again. We looked at this in the first message and we broke it down. We said we could break it down into two or three. And we've, on this chart, we've broken it down into three. These are the... Um, different categories of gift, word gifts, love gifts, and power gifts. 
Now, as you look at that list, I just want you to think about it for a second. I want you to look at the list, and I want you to focus on it and contemplate it. Think about the gifts and ask God, what gifts have you given to me? This chart's going to be available in notes. You can look at it yourself again later. You can make it part of your uh, prayer time um, when you have your next prayer time. And you can go to the Lord and just say, what gifts have you given me, Lord? If you're not sure, God, what gifts have you given to me? And then how should I be using these gifts to build up the church? In fact, here at Harvest, there are many incredible opportunities, all of which are essential to the mission, and I want to take you through some of these opportunities that are in front of us, because everyone ought to be using their gifts. Um, And uh, if you are not serving, or not serving enough, you can go to hbc.info slash next steps, and you're going to see work for Christ right there with a button that says... um, learn more, and find a place to serve. I mean, this is the application of this message right here. If we're going to say that I believe God's Word and I'm going to apply things, this is where it's going to happen. And that's going to take you to the job listings on our website. And there's something there for everyone. You start going through the different ministries, and you see what the different opportunities are in each of these ministry categories. And every one of our pastors and ministry directors and operations directors, what have you, look at those and just see, where can I serve? Where can I pour in? This, this is my gift. Where, where can I put my time into building up the body of Christ? There's so much there for us uh, to see and to be engaged, and I believe there's something there for every single person. And would you, would you take the time to prayerfully consider how, not if, how, not if you will work for Christ in this new ministry year. And even as I say that, I recognize that um, these past months have worn on us in a way that we have never felt before. I get that there's fear. I get there's apprehension. I get that there's a, an emotional and mental fatigue that is setting in because everything is harder. I get it. I get it because I'm experiencing it too. But this is not a time to be letting up in our service to others. It will only be self-defeating if what we do is shrink back and think only about ourselves and become so inward-focused that we forget, forget that we're part of something greater and bigger and that everyone else in the church is actually, listen to this now, depending on me, whatever your place of service is. We're all depending on you. We need to push past the apprehensions and fears and the lame excuses and the selfishness, and we need to give ourselves to this mission the way God has set up this mission. And we've mentioned it a few times already, but the full impact is experienced when everyone uses their gift. Notice to build up the church. I want to jump back to Ephesians 4 for a second, verse 15. Paul writes, says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole church, joined and held together by every joint, every member, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, love this, get this underlined in your Bibles, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the responsibility for church growth, for the internal maturing of the church, The responsibility for that has been placed squarely into our hands as members and as leaders. 
God has given us everything that we need. It's in our hands to use what He's given to us, which is actually the people. He's given us the people. He's given us the gifts of the manifestation of the Spirit and how the people use the gifts. So we have it all right in front of us, but you're only going to be committed to this if you believe that, that what God has said is what He means. And if you love the church the way God loves the church. I mean, I know I referenced this last week, but God is zealous for His people, and Jesus loves the church. And Jesus loves the church so much, He gave His life for the church. Everything we're talking about here is focused on the cross of Jesus Christ, because in Ephesians 5.25, that's what we hear, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was out of His deep love for the church. He gave Himself for the church. Now, if you're going to be like Jesus, if we're all going to be like Jesus, if we're going to, if we're going to read for the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, then as I'm reaching for the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, then I'm going to be sacrificing myself and giving my life for the church the way Jesus did. But do you love the church the way God loves the church? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for the church? No, I'm, I'm grateful because many, many are. With their time and their abilities, their gifts, with their giving, so many are willing and do give themselves to the church, to this mission. I'm constantly amazed and blessed by the selfless service of our Harvest family members who are committed to everything we're talking about here. For many of you watching right now, this is review. I get it. For many of you, you want the Holy Spirit to manifest Himself in what you do, and He does. But what of those who are in my in the hearing of this message right now, what of those who don't? What's keeping you from serving? There's some reasons why that might be. Might be a disappointment with the church, with leaders. And again, I've already conceded, I too am disappointed by the church and by leaders at times. But as imperfect as the church is, and it is imperfect, and every local church is imperfect, yet Jesus still loves the church, and this is still His plan. Some people are kept from serving because it's a season of life that they're in. They think that they're in a season of life. I'm, I'm too young, and when I finally get to be a certain age, or when I'm graduated college, or when we're done having kids, or when our kids are a certain age, I, I'll just get to it. Some, I'm too old to serve now, or I'm too busy in this stage of my life. And I want you to imagine right now, standing before Jesus, and giving the excuse that you're giving. Here's a third one. We talked about disappointment with the church and leaders. Secondly, a season of life. Thirdly, feeling that you don't have anything to contribute. A not gifted enough. And I feel like we've dealt with that adequately in this series. And really what Jesus wants you to do is just come with what he's given to you and nothing more than that. Just come with what you have, a willing heart, and the gifts that God has given to you. Maybe a fourth one is that you're distracted. There's just too much going on in your life that doesn't contribute to eternity. Think about that. What are all the things that are going on in my life that don't contribute one lick to eternal rewards? 
What you need to do right now is reassess and adjust some things in your life. And maybe, just maybe, that what's keeping you from serving is that you do not yet know Jesus. Remember, before there can be being and doing, there has to be believing. Before we can walk with Christ and work for Christ, we have to worship Him. We have to say He's our Lord and Savior. So maybe it is that you're not yet saved. You don't have a passion to serve because you don't yet know the head of the body and you're not yet part of the body. You don't love the church because you're not a part of it. But when you are a part of it, when you have genuinely been saved by Jesus Christ, when the blood of Christ has cleansed you of your sins and you're made part of the body of Christ, you cannot, you cannot but serve His church. You want to build up the church because it's your body too. You're part of it. And we do all of this, of course, for the glory of God. The gifts are, as as Paul wrote, the gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. It's not just natural abilities. It's not just, oh, Todd's really good at that. Look how good Todd is at that. It's the Holy Spirit manifesting Himself in what I'm doing. Whether it's a word gift or a love gift or a power gift, it's the manifestation of the Spirit. It's the Spirit showing up in what we're doing no matter what it is. It happens in the kindness and and the welcoming offered in the parking lot or at the doors. It it happens in caring for and teaching children in Harvest Kids and Awana. It happens in the cleaning and maintenance of this facility. It happens in the presentation of the worship songs, whether on stage or in the production room. It happens in the crafting of graphics and in the posts that we put on social media. It happens in the preaching and the teaching and the leading and in the hundreds of acts of encouragement and mercy that happen every single week. Every gift, every act of service, every ministry, as 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, all of it a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And Peter adds to that in order that in everything, God may be glorified through, Christ, through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You agree with that? You say amen to that? All of this, my service, whatever I do, it's for God's glory alone. We exist for no other reason. As human beings, we exist for no other reason reason than to glorify God. And and when we believe that, when we believe that we exist for no other reason than the glory of God, that changes everything about how we live our lives. I read recently a book called Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor by uh, Don Carson. And um, he wrote it about his dad who was a pastor in Quebec uh, for decades. And he wrote this, Don wrote this, that when he was a boy at Calvary Baptist Church, there was a saying 
hanging from one of the walls in the church where everyone who came in could see it. And I think it makes the point as we conclude this series. I am but one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, God helping me, I will do. It's not so mysterious after all, is it? Let's pray together. Our God and Father, you, um, you have given us as an incredible gift the church. We're not alone. We're not, we're not trying to work out things without knowing how you've set it up. You've spoken to us. You're with us. You've given us each other. And God, if there's repentance that needs to happen right now, it's because some of us have just taken this for granted. Some of us have neglected the church. Some of us have been so gripped by what the world has been saying around us, we're fearful. But God, you're calling the church right now to do something extraordinary in a world that's fearful in a world that's becoming increasingly aflame with disagreement and conflict, serious conflict, Lord. And we as your church, God, we have in our hands the words of life. And God, to the extent that we're strong, that your spirit is in us, that you're manifesting your presence amongst us. Father, to that extent, we are going to impact this city. We will impact this county, this province, this country, and the world. So God, raise up the church and help us, God, to do it your way. Forgive us, God, for trying to do it our own way. Forgive us for neglecting. Father, use us in the days ahead. Strengthen us for the task that's in front of us. Grow your church. Not so that we could make a name for ourselves, God, but for the glory of Jesus Christ alone. And we pray this in his name. Amen.